So keep your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 1, as that's where we are going to be this evening. Many people talk about faith or belief in a compartmentalized way. But what you believe, truly believe, will drive you. If a young woman believes that she has value, she will make decisions based upon that in the way she interacts with her suitors. If you believe that you have something to offer at your workplace, you will work hard to demonstrate that. If you believe that your parents' opinion is more important than your friends, you will seek out their advice first. So belief is central to the way we live our lives. And though we might, and people might speak about it in a compartmentalized way, truly what someone says they believe may not actually be what they do believe. Actions reveal belief. And this is true about not only the way we feel about ourselves or the world, but it is true about our belief in spiritual matters. It is not and cannot be compartmentalized regardless of how much culture tries to say, you keep your faith to yourself. It is something that a Christian just cannot do. And that's why we feel at this church that we must continue to grow in faith. Because the culture tries to conform us. And at different stages of life, that conformity looks different. But in order for us to grow in faith, we need to believe the right things. And this is why we teach the Bible. And that we believe it is God's Word we believe that it is God's Word that you should believe. So this evening, in line with that, we're going to continue our study of the book of Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, we have uh, titled this series, Know Who You Are. Because it's all about... The book of Ephesians, particularly the first three chapters, is all about people's identity, who they are. And Paul is hammering them from one angle or another to think differently, to believe differently about who they are. And so in the first chapter, as we've been going through this, we have been breaking apart this long run-on sentence that the Apostle writes, this run-on sentence of praise that Cindy read just a few moments ago. And in that run-on sentence, Paul basically has two things to say. God is the one who is to be blessed and praised because He has blessed us in so many ways. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly places in Christ 
with every spiritual blessing. And then he goes on to enumerate several of them. And it's not an exhaustive list, but it is a, a list that is representative of all three members of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. It is a list which is representative of how God has blessed us in the past, blessed us in the present, and will bless us in the future. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, which means there are no spiritual blessings outside of Christ. So for the Christian, we don't need to seek them anywhere else. And for the non-Christian, you need to seek them in Christ and Christ alone. And over the last three few weeks, we've learned about some of those. The first one we looked at is the blessing of being elect, chosen, in Christ before the foundation of the world. And then we talked about the blessing of being predestined unto adoption. And then we looked last week at the blessing of being redeemed by the blood of Jesus, which gives us the blessing of the forgiveness of our sins. Wonderful blessings. Tonight, I want us to look at and think about what God has blessed us with, that we get to experience partially now, but we will experience it entirely in the future. So let me just read four short verses. Starting in verse 11. In Him, meaning in Jesus, We have obtained the inheritance, obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Tonight we're going to be talking about the blessing of inheritance. One of the great hopes of the Christian is that we have an inheritance. When you think of inheritance, you think of wealthy people, or maybe not so wealthy, but you think of family members receiving that which is left from a parent or a grandparent after they've passed on. This morning I was trying to explain to Savannah, our five-year-old, about inheritance. I said, have you ever heard that word? She said, no, I've never heard of it. And I was like, it's like when rich people leave their stuff to their kids. Uh, And then I said, but God's got an inheritance, and God's stuff's better than rich people's stuff. Um, Rich people's stuff fades away and breaks and things like that. And she looked at this picture on the wall of my mom (laughs) when my mom was in her 20s, and she says, like that, Dad? And I was like, well, yeah, that's nice. Uh, But it's like God's stuff is better than that. And then she says, like cats? (laughs) I said, yeah, it's better than cats, for sure. It's interesting that we're talking about 
inheritance on this particular Sunday. This was in no way planned. But did you know that today, around the country, we're uh, recognizing Orphan Sunday? This is a Sunday to call attention to the children of our nation and of the world that are without parents that can care for them. Now, as you know, we're an adoptive family, and God has blessed us with Benjamin. Uh, His name in Korea was Chilmen Park. Benjamin proudly signs his name sometimes on his class school papers, Chilmen Park. Maybe that's to throw off his teachers, I don't know. Is Benjamin here? I want to just ask, I'm just curious, by show of hands, is there, in this room, how many people have been closely affected through either the foster care system or adoption in any way through your life? Amen. It's one of God's great calls, and this is not the purpose of this message, but for God's people to care for the most vulnerable in our society, of which orphans are part of that group. So I want to encourage One City Church to be prayerful about how we individually might pick up that mantle and take care of the orphans in our world. And there's lots of ways. In fact, this this organization, the um, Christian Alliance for Orphans, if you go to their website... It's CAFO.org. If you go to their website, you can find lots of information about how you can be personally involved in different levels of activity. So, this week I happened to read some interesting stories about inheritance. Did you know that um, one of the last Portuguese aristocrats, when he died, he distributed his money to 70 individuals that he randomly picked from the Lisbon phone book. Had no idea, didn't know them at all, didn't leave a dime to any of his kids. I don't think they have dimes in Portugal. Portugal. But anyways, I found that to be interesting. Leona Helmsley, who's old enough to remember her? Uh, Very esoteric lady. She left $12 million to her dog who died a few years ago. I'm not sure who he left it to. (laughs) And then earlier this year, CNN's uh, Anderson Cooper, who is uh, one of three children to Gloria Vanderbilt, uh, it was thought that he would inherit $200 million, of which he said he didn't care for any of it, um, but uh, wound up inheriting only a million five because apparently she lived high on the hog the last few years of her life. But So anyways, inheritance is about what you leave to those who belong to you, right? And some of the most pathetic fights occur over inheritance of uh, families arguing over the last will and testament of their loved ones. Well, God's Word tells God's people that we have an inheritance. And we have a part of God's inheritance. And tonight I want to, and all of these verses, by the way, this is, we're going to touch on this uh, same text next Sunday, but tonight I want to answer one question, and that is, what is our inheritance? 
That's all I want to try to answer tonight. What is our inheritance? Now, most of us don't think much about what that inheritance is. And we sort of think, well, inheritance, future, is it heaven? Is heaven our inheritance? I remember when I was in my young 20s, I think I've shared this story before, and I was witnessing to a co-worker of mine. His name was Russ, and he said, what in the world could possibly be so interesting about spending forever and ever and ever on clouds singing? Like, <laughs> I thought about it. I was a young believer at the time. I'm like, I don't have a real good answer for this, but you're right. That's not very compelling. Like, hey, 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 join us and forever you can sing. Most guys would be like, what's, the, what's behind door number two? But if this is what we give off of what we have to look forward to, if this is our inheritance, is this is what, if this is what we get to call people to, is it any wonder that it's not so compelling? So what is the inheritance? Well, let me say, it is tied to heaven. But it is much, much more than that. So we're going to be doing a Bible study tonight. So I hope that you are good at turning pages. The scriptures will also be behind me. But if we're going to talk about inheritance, I think we need, there are several passages that we need to hit on. So, let's jump into it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-4. to And I want to encourage you to write these down, because again, I could be tricking you. So check me out. Study it when you go home. I'm not tricking you, by the way. Not trying to. But check and make sure the things we say line up with the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sounds pretty familiar to Ephesians 1, verse 3, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The passage continues to go on, but I just cut it off there. What I want you to see is that the inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So it can't simply be heaven because in Ephesians, Paul says, and he agrees with Peter, Paul says that we have it now. Now let's look at the second verse and we're going to come back and comment on all of these. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 19 to 23. And as I read this, I want you to recognize the similar wording of what we saw in Ephesians. 2 Corinthians. Do we have the slide up there? Okay, good. We're going to be doing some real Bible turning. 
Love technology. 2 Corinthians, so if you're in Ephesians, turn to the left. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 to 23. <clears throat> Paul was, was talking about why he uh, had not arrived when he had intended to come to Corinth earlier. Verse 17, it says, I wasn't vacillating. Um, I don't make my plans according to the flesh, saying yes, yes, and no, no at the same time. But look what it says, starting in verse 19. <clears throat> For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. In Him, remember in Ephesians, 12 times. In Him, in Christ, in the Beloved, in whom. 12 different times in Ephesians. Same words here. In Jesus, it is always yes. That is why, we, why it is through Him and through Jesus that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who established us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You remember reading that in Ephesians 1 verses 12 and 14. That the spirit is a seal and a guarantee of our inheritance. So the inheritance has something to do with the promises of God. For all the promises of God find their yes and amen in Him. So what is what are some of these promises? Well, Peter says these promises are what transform us and allow us to become partakers or sharers in God's nature. Look at 2 Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. So if you're in your Bible, you go to the right. Past Timothy, past Hebrews, past James. What did I say? Oh, it's up. It's up. Well, keep turning anyways. It's good. It's a good discipline. His divine power... Looking at the promises again, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So it is by His divine power, through our knowledge of God, that He grants to us these promises. It's in knowing God, through Christ, that we come to obtain all of these promises that God has, which Paul said, we just saw in 2 Corinthians, get their yes in Jesus. We get a yes to all the promises of God in Jesus. 
Romans 8 will be the last passage that we look at, and this is the most, most lengthy one, which I think helps us to put all of this together in our understanding of our inheritance. Is it up there? All right, this is several slides. <clears throat> Starting in verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then what? Heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That means we inherit. An heir is someone who inherits. Children, in case you didn't know that. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory. Don't, don't advance this one yet. To the glory that is to be revealed to us. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Advance. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, talking about Christians, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. I want to ask you a question. When you were evangelized and put your faith in Christ, did you put your hope in the fact that your body would one day be resurrected. Was that part of what you believed? It should have been. It wasn't part of the witness. It wasn't part of the gospel that was shared to me. But that is part of the New Testament hope that one day, even our bodies are going to be redeemed. And we're going to see why this makes a difference in just a minute. So let's try to put this all together. I hope you, hopefully you wrote down these verses because I'm going to try to synthesize the main points from each one of them. Peter says in 1 Peter that we were born again, right? And we know from John chapter 3 that we are born again by the Holy Spirit. You're going to see how the Holy Spirit is all over this process. We are born again to an inheritance that never diminishes in value. It doesn't, it's, not, it's incorruptible, it's imperishable, it doesn't fade away, it's reserved in heaven. And that that uh, inheritance is based upon the resurrection of Jesus. The fact that Jesus defeated the grave is the ground by which we have an inheritance. And it is reserved in heaven. That's what Peter says. In Ephesians, the passage that we're looking at, Paul says that it is in union with Christ. He uses that phrase, in Him, in Christ. 
we have already partially obtained the inheritance, but not yet fully obtained it. If you're familiar at all with theological jargon, there's this idea of already not yet tension, that, part, that in the kingdom and the blessings that God has, we already have some of the fulfillment, but not quite yet all of it. And so this is part of it. Paul says that we have already obtained the inheritance, but not yet fully obtained it. And it is the Holy Spirit, he says in Ephesians, that is given to us as a guarantee of that future full possession. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that it is in union with Christ that all of God's promises find their yes. What does that mean? It finds their place of fulfillment. That's what it means. God has established, he says, and confirmed. Or he, Okay, I need to explain this a little bit because this is a great word. In 2 Corinthians, he says that it is God who has established us with you in Christ. Well, that word established... It's a fantastic word. It's a, it's, a, it's a word that talks about being made firm. It's like when you pound something to get it so tight, like they didn't have concrete back in the day, but it, it's, it would be the idea of making something so firm that it's immovable. And it is God, he says, who has done that for us together in Christ. It's amazing what God has done. The security that we have as a result of this, and it is the Spirit, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, which is the guarantee of these promises, the earnest. We've talked about that in the past. It's kind of like when you buy a house, you put down an earnest, right? You put down a down payment, and you make it significant enough that you can't renege on, your, on what you put the down payment, or you lose the down payment. Well, the Holy Spirit is the down payment. The fact that the Holy Spirit lives in our lives is God's down payment saying, I'm going to finish this thing off. I'm going to give the full inheritance to you. Peter goes back in 2 Peter and says that the promises, that God's promises are given so that we can, one, have everything we need to live a godly life in this life, and two, through His great and precious promises, we can become more like God, which he uses the term, share in the divine nature, and two, we can escape from the sinful corruption. So it's not just future, it's not just future promises that we get to look forward to, but it is a very present life transformation in this current experience that we get to become sharers of God's nature and set free from the sin which would dominate our souls. Is that not sweet? And then in Romans, Paul says, the Spirit's presence attests that you and I were kids of God. We're God's kids. And as adopted children, and we are adopted children, We're not natural children. Only Jesus was the natural Son of God. We are adopted, but we are fully heirs. Heirs of God, but just so that you know that you don't get just the leftovers, you don't get what Gloria Vanderbilt, she's spent all her spoils and she's just throwing out a few crumbs. Anderson gets a little bit and the other two get a little bit less. God says that we are co-heirs with Jesus. 
we get what Jesus gets. Paul says that we are to expect that we are to suffer with Christ as part of this earthly experience as a Christian. But the part of the inheritance is to know that the future glory that you and I are going to experience, like don't even waste your time trying to compare the stuff you're going through right now to what you're going to experience. It doesn't even compare. And I want you to sit on that. Because I know a lot of you guys' stories. And I know a lot of you guys' struggles. And I know a lot of you guys' broken hearts. And I know a lot of you guys' fears. You've shared those with me. I just want to remind you, it will not compare with what awaits you. It does not compare with what awaits you. Paul finally says that we are saved in the specific hope that our corrupted personal nature would be released from its bondage. That our, you know, that part of you that you just say, Dad, gum it. I did that again. I thought that again. I said that again. I can't believe I did that again. That corrupted nature that still exists within you, Christian. There's a day when that's going to be released Amen. into the freedom. There will not be bondage to sin in that day. Paul says that we will have redeemed bodies. And the, that redeemed body is the consummation of the Spirit's indwelling ministry and our adoption. And then lastly, he says that even this world, this corrupted creation is going to be, I mean, it's waiting. <laughs> this is great. I don't know how this works, but it's waiting the birds, the ground, the trees, the grass, the clouds, everything else in the created world is waiting until the revealing of the sons of God, which is another way of saying until Jesus comes and redeems us and we become delivered from our sin and then the whole creation is going to be set free. And it is waiting. Imagine what that world will be when the, the curse that God put upon the ground that would make work difficult is removed. And all the things, the natural disasters that becomes this part of the news cycle and we just forget about them because they happen so regularly. Those are a thing of the past. And everything you set your mind to flourishes because it just works the way God intended it to work. And you work the way God intended you to work. Imagine what that experience is going to be. What a phenomenal inheritance we have. My friend Russ had no idea what heaven was going to be like. He had the completely wrong impression of what eternity forgot. There is no way you want to see what, behind, what is behind door number two when you understand that you are going to be completely free from the ravages of sin in your own heart and that the Holy Spirit is going to completely liberate you to be productive and fruitful and loving. It's all going to be 
better. God's purpose from creation was to have a people who joyfully live under His reign and under His rule. But sin, the world we live in, has completely wrecked that. We can't even imagine what a world like that would be. But let me try to give you an idea of what Christ is restoring and one day will fully restore. Christ is reconstructing through the Spirit's ministry broken lives. He is granting peace today where there was anxiety. He's granting life today where there was death. He is granting righteousness today where there was corruption. He's granting forgiveness where there was condemnation. He's granting purpose to those who felt insignificant. He's granting power today when there was only weakness. He's granting assurance where there was insecurity and hope where there was only despair. Jesus Christ is granting love when there was only fear. Joy when there was depression. Patience when there was manipulation. And eternal life when there was only hell to be deserved. And friends, this is what Paul says, the first fruits. That's the, just the tiny part. The full expression of it is going to be magnificent if this is what the first fruits are. We ought to rejoice. In the future, Christ will return. God's children will be released from all the remnants of sin. Sin, Satan, and all their effects will be done away with. 2 Peter 3.10 says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And when the heavens, the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. And then he says, a new heaven and a new earth will be established. So I want to invite you to read. Stand up and you're going to read along. Behind, do we have this? Alright, I'm going to read these and when it's in red, I want you to read these. Then, this is the, uh, the picture that John got of the new heavens and the new earth coming from Revelation 21 and 22. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for husband. You read... He will dwell with them. And God Himself. He will wipe away. Neither shall there be mourning, or crying, or pain. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. They will bring... But nothing unclean will ever enter it. But only... 
Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were the, for the healing of the nations. But the throne of God, of the Lamb, and His servants will worship Him. Night will be no more. They will need no light. For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. You may be seated. How about that? That is our inheritance. Brothers and sisters, this is our identity. This is what we will enjoy. It's not going to be bouncing on clouds and singing. It's going to be fruitful. It's going to be filled with worship that comes spontaneous. And if you don't believe in tattoos, one day you're going to have one right across your forehead. All of the riches of God are going to be ours. We are more blessed than anybody else in all of creation. So let me just give you three points of application to conclude. Number one, God has given us to one another to encourage and remind ourselves of our inheritance. You belong, church, and for those who've just come into covenant fellowship here, you belong to one another to encourage one another as we wait for that day, let me read a passage of Scripture. Ephesians, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We want to encourage one another. This past week I had the opportunity and I decided that I wanted to do my um, study with Peter Padro. I don't know if you remember Peter. We talk about him a lot. But I wanted to, and I know we're running over just a little bit, but um, I put his phone number on there for a reason. I want you to write it down. On March 3rd, Peter was bending down to pick up a box of books and he thought he hurt his back doing it. Agonizing pain that wouldn't go away, so he went to the doctor and had an MRI and he found out that he has cancer of the spine. He didn't sleep more than a couple hours a night for two months. And he finally was able to get some treatment and a plan. He's been undergoing chemotherapy and radiation. But I want to tell you a little bit about the backstory of Peter and Sonia. Peter was a Roman Catholic priest living in the Bronx when he was a young man. Didn't know Jesus, even though he was part of the religious establishment. Some thugs broke in with guns. Sorry, there's kids in the room, but they, everybody else in the room died. They shot Peter in the face, thinking to kill him, but he didn't die. He spent the 
next couple decades getting surgery after surgery in order to repair his eyesight. But it was through that that he came to know Jesus as his Savior. And he spent the bulk of his adult life, he's 75 this year, spent the majority of his life serving Christ, blind, mostly blind. He can see just a little bit out of one eye. Um, uh, in Latin America, bringing the gospel. Uh, he's had some rough goes of it. He was a pastor back in New York City in Harlem, uh, pastored in New Jersey, um, and then wound up coming to Lancaster, Pennsylvania a couple years ago when, when we met him. And his desire was to live out the rest of his life uh, doing ministry. His wife, Sonia, who has been a ministry partner, she works at, on Greenfield at that new Hampton Inn across from Costco, if you know what I'm talking about, in order to pay their bills because they will never be able to retire. But then Peter found out that he had cancer. Peter said to me this week, because I had one, basically one question, is how does the inheritance that you know you will receive, how does it affect the way you live your life as you go through cancer? Um, on the right, and you can't see it real well, you see Peter. Peter's sitting in the right in the, in the easy chair that he sits in probably 18 hours of every day. He doesn't sleep well. Here's what Peter said to me. He said, My cancer has drawn me closer to the Lord than I ever thought I could be. I've realized that I am more of a sinner than I ever wanted to believe. And I've come to realize in this that I cannot hide anything from God. And He has broken me of my self-reliance. He said, I believe that Jesus is the inheritance, not heaven. He said, the Lord's presence in the midst of our suffering is our inheritance. He said, if that were not so, our lot would be miserable. I'm not sure how I would deal with the cancer. He says, and he always calls me pastor. He says, pastor, he says, sometimes the pain is so intense and I'm in bed and I just don't know how I can keep from waking Sonia up. But I don't want to trouble her. He says, I just talk to the Lord and say whatever it takes to stop the pain. There are days when Peter wants to die. But then he says, then I'm reminded that that pain cannot compare with what Jesus experienced for me on the cross. I, said, I asked Sonia what God's been teaching her. She said, the inheritance is something that I get only because of His mercy. I don't, I don't deserve it. I lived a sinful life where I loved to party. I lived in Los Angeles with family that did and sold drugs. It was Peter that led her to Christ. He said, my, she said, my relationship with Jesus has helped me not only over this, but her own cancer, her own breast cancer that she just got over. She says what she doesn't understand most is 
because their, their heart in coming to Lancaster was to minister the gospel. That's why they came, and now they can't do it. But you know what they do? And I want you to know about this. That couple every morning wakes up and prays for One City Church. And that's why I've given, them your phone, given you his phone number. I want you to write it down. And I want you at some point in the next month, week, put it in your calendar as a reminder and say, thank you for praying for us. There are some in this room who make a point of visiting Peter and Sonia because they can't get out. People go and visit them. Peter and Sonia were going to be part of this membership, but they just couldn't get the work done. And their hope is that they can become members in the next group. But they pray for us. And Sonia says, an infant church needs prayer. And I think that's true. So we, God has given us to one another. And he's given Peter and Sonia Padro to us as well. I hope that you will encourage them in the days to come. The second thing, point of application, these next two will be quick, is we need to order our lives. We need to order our lives in order to bring other people into the riches of this inheritance. We need to order our lives to let people that don't know Jesus have an opportunity to know Jesus and to talk to people who we have not talked to and had the opportunity for years and years. Talk to them. Because they have no hope. They have no hope past the grave. Most of them know that they have no hope. They just hope that they're annihilated. But we know that it's way worse than annihilation. They have no hope. Bring them hope through Jesus Christ and His good news. And that goes for you wherever you're at in this world. I hope God's put someone in your mind that you could talk to. And then the third thing is, it comes right out of Hebrews, or I'm sorry, right out of Ephesians chapter 1, four times, He says, to the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glorious grace. I hope that you will respond to God this week and I'm going to ask Patrick you to come on up. We're going to sing um, It Is Well With My Soul as our closing hymn. I hope that you will live to the praise of His glory this week as you remember all that He's done for you. As you probably know, the song we're about to sing was written by a man who lost his wife and children in the Atlantic Ocean. <clears throat> and the words to this song came to him as he traveled on a ship just a few days after their ship went down. Um, and as he was over that point, the, the, the captain of the ship that he was in says, this is where your family is, a thousand feet below us. And he said the words of this song, when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say is well is well with my soul let's sing this as our prayer to god tonight